0: You're more than the sum of your past mistakes. You're more than the, than the sum of the wrong choices you've made. Our true identity is not rooted in our mistakes. It's not rooted in the wrong things we've done, the, the problems we've created, the, the dumb things we've said, the people we've hurt. And there's a lot of us for whom that truth if we embraced it, would be life-changing. We have been caught up in our past and, and we identify ourselves with all the junk from our past. But God says that's not what our true identity is. It's not the sum of our past mistakes and the problems we've created. It's also not rooted in our, in our accomplishments or in our job title or the schools that our children attend or the size of our bank account or the club that we belong to or the logo that we have on our shirt. Those things don't define who we are, or at least they shouldn't define who we are. Our true identity isn't rooted in the whiteness of our teeth or the color of our hair or the lack thereof, You know, the smoothness of our skin, the size and shape of various body parts. You know, It's not rooted in what people think about us, It's not rooted in what they say to us. It's not rooted in what they've done to us. Our true identity is not rooted in any of those things. Ultimately, our true identity is rooted in our relationship with the God who created us. It's rooted rooted in who God made us to be, It's rooted in what he's done for us, and it's rooted in how we respond to him. And when we respond by trusting him, by saying, okay, you're God and I'm not. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again that I could have new life and I want to follow you. When we respond with that kind of faith, when we respond with that kind of trust, then we're beginning to head down the path of living the life that God created us to live. We're beginning to adopt the identity that God has for us. We're beginning to understand and appropriate and live out our true identity. We're beginning to become more and more the people that God created us to be, and that's when we flourish. This morning, as Steve mentioned, we're starting a new series that we're calling Identity Theft. And over the next uh, several weeks, Rich and I are going to be looking at uh, actually five different identity thieves, different things that can conspire to steal our identity if we let them do that. We're going to start actually doing that next week. Today, we're just going to give an overview and and look at some of the basic truths about, about our identity. But over the next five weeks or so, we're going to be looking at things like fear. We're going to look at being wronged or being hurt. We're going to look at pride. We're going to look at busyness. We're going to look at materialism and how those things can work to steal our identity. And we're also going to look at what God says about our true identity and how appropriating that, how understanding that, how believing that, how personalizing that can keep those other things from stealing our identity and can help us to live the kind of life that God has for us, which is what's best for us and most glorifying to him. I don't know how many of you remember from uh, about five years or so ago, a series of commercials and newspaper ads and stuff uh, for, the, for Mitchum deodorant. It was called the Mitchum man. They had this sort of idealized, I don't know if he's idealized, but they, you know, they set up this identity of this guy, and they had all sorts of slogans that would define the Mitchum man, and I have a few of them here. Uh, if your only real fear is commitment, you're a Mitchum man. If you've ever eaten tortilla chip crumbs off your shirt, you're a Mitchum man. If you didn't have anything to do with planning your wedding, you're a Mitchum man. You're also a scumbag or there was a shotgun involved in your wedding cuz that's not the way, you know, that it ought to be. And and you know, I was looking at a bunch of those this week and just about every other one was so crude that we can't mention it even at Renaissance, you know? It's just there's this image that they're trying to create and it's just not what we would necessarily say would agree with the Bible. And what was interesting to see is uh, looking at... I found a quote from a person who worked on that ad campaign, and they said, of course we're not selling deodorant with lines like these. We're selling image. Image is much easier to sell, especially when dealing with something as icky as armpits. You can only have so many ads featuring the quality of the product before you start running out of material. The message... The message is that men should tap into their inner boy and be just as lewd, crude, and sexually deviant as they possibly can. Image is the key selling factor. Who wants to be a wimp? Be loud, be gregarious, be sexually irresponsible because that's a great way to prove to the world that you're a man. There you have it. Essentially, the Revlon Corporation was trying to create an identity for a group of men with the goal that they would buy a particular brand of deodorant. And that's what they were doing. Apple Computers does the same thing with their, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, you know, line of, of, of commercials. You know, I'm a Mac, that means I'm young, I'm hip, I'm cool. I'm a PC, that means I'm kind of dorky and dumpy and, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. And that's the image they're trying to create and uh, wanting us to identify with. You guys want to see my, uh, my iPhone, you know? <laughs> There you go, I'm a Mac, but I have a PC at home too. Anyway, you know, think about the commercials that are aimed at women. So many of them are essentially saying, women, your identity is wrapped up in your physical appearance. There you go. And none of us are immune to those kind of voices. All of us, to some degree or another, are affected by the voices that say to us, you are the car you drive, you are the computer you own, you are the clothes you wear, you are who I say you are. All of us, more or less, listen to those voices, we hear them, and to some extent, we adopt the identity that those voices want us to adopt. But that's not who God created us to be. And if we're not careful, our true identity can be stolen by all of those different voices. Our true identity is rooted in our relationship with the God who created us. Do I... Here's a question we have to ask ourselves. Do I want to take my cues about who I am from my God, from the God who created me? Or do I want to take my cues about who I am from my deodorant and the ad agency behind it? I mean, that's essentially... The choice that we have. And too often we choose the deodorant over God. And Rich's goal and my goal here in this series is to help us to more and more and more choose, to see ourselves as God sees us and see that as our primary identity rather than listening to all the voices that are around us. And what I want us to do this morning is look at about a half a dozen key aspects of what God says is our true identity. In fact, uh, Rich and I were talking about this earlier. I came up with easily 25 or 30 different aspects of who we are and, and what our true identity is. And if Rich, and I did that in about 15, 20 minutes. If Rich and I sat down together, we could probably do 50 or 75 in a half hour between us, and there'd probably be another 25 that we would have missed in there. The Bible is full of descriptions of who we are, of what our true identity is. And uh, we're just going to touch on a half a dozen or so this morning, and then over the next uh, five weeks... We're going to hit others, and then there's still going to be dozens more that you can discover as you read through the Bible on your own. But the first one I want to look at is what many people consider to be, in a sense, the foundation of what it means to be a follower of Christ, and that is that I am a child of God. I am a child of God. The Apostle John, who was Jesus' best friend, says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. What John is saying is that if I believe that God gave his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins, to rise again so that I could have new life, then I can have a relationship with him. That in a sense, he adopts me spiritually as his child. He's my heavenly father, and I have a father-son relationship with him in a spiritual sense. And that becomes such part of the core of my identity. No matter how poorly other people treat me, no matter what they say about me, no matter what they do to me, if, if I'm a follower of Christ, my true identity includes the fact that I am a child of God, and that can be so unbelievably encouraging when there's people all around me who want to say anything else but that. Some of you got up uh, at, at four in the morning to watch the on Friday to watch the royal wedding, and, and uh, I did not. I heard all about it, and you know the dress changes and the cakes and you know the pomp and circumstance and and, and all of that. But earlier in the week, Christine, uh, my daughter, and I we were sitting watching uh, a show that was kind of previewing what was going on in the royal wedding. It was kind of fascinating. It was a little documentary that was talking about the royal family and what was going on there. And what struck me was what they were saying about Prince Harry, William's younger brother, and the effect that being number two in the line had on him or could have had on him if his mother Diana had not been aware of what could happen to his identity and had not taken steps to remedy that. Because you see, if you're not the direct heir to the throne, then... It's kind of like you're a second-class citizen within the royal family. But Diana said, no, Harry is just as important and William as William, and I want him to know that. I don't want him to have this inferiority complex thinking that he's just second fiddle. He's just as important as his older brother is. And what the, what the uh, commentators were saying is that she succeeded in doing that, and he was able to, to develop that better self-understanding. And if you've seen uh, the movie The King's Speech, you know uh, that, the, that the king who ultimately became king, was number two. And he had an incredible inferiority complex, and he was treated like trash by his older brother and his father and other people in the royal family. We are not trash. We are children of God if we're trusting in him, if we're trusting in Christ for our salvation. We are children of God. We're children of the king of the universe, and that is an integral part of our identity as followers of Christ. And if I can understand that and appropriate it, it can make a huge difference in my life on a day-to-day basis. And that leads to the next, next aspect of our true identity. Not only am I a child of God, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, "'Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword?' No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am loved by God. And there is absolutely nothing that can separate me from that love. There is nothing that I can do. There is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that anyone can do to separate me from God's love. No matter what my past mistakes are, God still loves me. No matter how much I mess up today, God still loves me. No matter what I do in the future, God still loves me because of the relationship I have with him through his son Jesus Christ. If I am trusting in Christ, I am his child and he loves me, period. And again, the issue becomes, am I going to listen to that voice or am I going to listen to all the other voices around me? It is an unchangeable fact that God loves me because of my relationship with him through Jesus Christ, period. Next, I'm forgiven. I am completely, 100% forgiven. All the prophets, Luke writes in the book of Acts, all the prophets testify about him, about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. It's an undeniable fact about my identity that I have been forgiven. And in light of that, the apostle Paul kind of plays on that, and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of, who gives life has set you free from the law of uh, sin and death. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, God forgives those who trust in him. And since God no longer condemns us, neither can anybody else. And we have no reason to condemn ourselves either. We don't need to live with a constant guilt and shame of the past things we've done, of the things we may have done even today, of what we might do tomorrow. We don't need to live with that guilt and shame because God has declared us not guilty. He said, Because of what my son did, if you're trusting in him, then you're not guilty, you're forgiven slate is wiped clean and that's a fact about your identity being fully forgiven is part of our identity as followers of Christ as God's children of those as uh, of those who are trusting in him next i am redeemed I am redeemed. And that, that, that term redeemed is one that is a little bit unfamiliar to us. We may use it, but it doesn't exactly, our, our current usage doesn't exactly fit with what's going on in the Bible. The Apostle Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, that term redemption comes from the slave markets in those days. When when Peter was speaking, his, his audience would have heard, when they hear the term redemption, they would have heard slave market. They would have heard someone chose to pay a price to release that slave from bondage. Jesus chose to pay a price to release me, to release you From bondage. And his price, Peter says, was not silver or gold, it was his own blood. And what that says is that God believed I was worth redeeming. I was worth dying for. I am worth a whole lot more than silver or gold. So when people tell me I'm no good, I'm not worth anything, you know, or that my worth is based on what I do as opposed to who I am in my relationship with God, the answer is no. I am worth something. I am of such worth that God was willing to die for me. And the goal is not to boost my ego but to help me to have a right understanding of my relationship with God. And when I recognize that, rather than getting proud, I'm humbled because I realize, man, I was a slave and he died to set me free. I'm worth something in God's eyes and that is an unchangeable unchangeable fact about my identity. And that leads into the next truth. I am set free from sin. I have been set free from sin. Paul writes, for we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Because of my relationship with God through Jesus, I am free to choose not to sin. I no longer have to sin. I can choose to do so. I can choose to do things that are wrong. I can choose to disobey, but I don't have to. I'm not enslaved any longer because he's set me free. I'm not defined by the wrong choices I make. I'm not defined by the problems I create. I'm not defined by the way in which I hurt other people. I'm not defined by my bad habits or my addictions or whatever it may be. I am defined by the freedom that God has given me to live the life that he created me to live, to make the right choices. I'm defined by that freedom, not by the slavery that I once had. And again, that's so liberating. So we can sing as we did earlier. I'm free. I'm free to live the life, to live out the identity that you, God, created me to have. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done and because of my relationship with him. And then finally, I'm a follower of Christ. I am a follower of Christ. Let's take a look real quickly at uh, what the gospel writer Mark, one of Jesus' bio- biographers, uh, records when Jesus chose his first followers. Jesus was wa- uh, walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. "'Come follow me,' Jesus said, "'and I'll send you out to fish for people.'" And at once they left their nets and follow him. Simon and Andrew went from being identified as fishermen to being identified as followers of Jesus. They went from being identified by their jobs, by what they did, to being identified by their relationship with God. They used to be known as fishermen. Now they're known as followers of Jesus. Our identity as followers of Christ, is not based on what we do. It's not based on our jobs. It's not based on the clothes we wear. It's not based on the size of our bank account. It's not based on the letters that follow our name, whether they be MBA, PhD, DAD, or MOM. You know, our, our identity is based on our relationship with God and the fact that we are followers of Christ. And when we ask ourselves where do we take our cues from? Where do we take our cues from? I want to take my cues from the one I follow. And I'm a follower of Christ, so I want to take my cues about who I am and how I ought to live my life. If I'm a follower of Christ, I take my cues from him rather than from all the voices that are around me. Now, in real life, in reality, I still listen to those other voices, but that's not what it ought to be. And more and more and more, I need to be taking my cues from him and less and less and less I ought to be taking my cues from all of the voices that are around are around me. Our identity as followers of Christ is not based on what we do. It's based on our relationship with him. God has a lot more to say about our true identity and, and over the next five weeks we're going to look at uh, so many different things that he has to say and we're going to look at some of those things that can conspire to try to steal our identity and we're going we're to Look at how understanding and appropriating these half a dozen or so truths and another 5, 10, 15, 20 more that we may talk about over the next few weeks, how understanding and appropriating those and and making them part of our understanding of our identity, how they can change not only how we view ourselves but also how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. Our true identity is not rooted in what we do. It's not rooted in what others do think about us, or say about us, or do to us. Our true identity is rooted in our relationship with the God who created us. It's rooted in who he made us to be, and what he's done for us, and how we respond to him. And when we respond by trusting him, that's when we're able to live like the people he created us to be, that's when we're able to live the lives that he wants us to live. And that's when we're going to flourish. As his children, whom he loves, whom he has forgiven, whom he has redeemed, because we're valuable to him, whom he has set free from the power of sin, and whom he has said, follow me, follow me. That's who we are as his children, as his followers, and that's how we can flourish. Let me pray for us. Father, it is kind of awesome to think about the fact that I'm your child, and that's how you view me, that you, have, that you love me, that you've forgiven me, that you thought I was worth dying for, that you set me free from sin, and that you have called me to follow you, and so many other things that you've given us in the Bible to talk about our true identity. Father, I pray for myself that I, and everybody here that we would get a better understanding of that and that as we do, that the voices around us would fade, become less and less influential on us, and more and more and more we would take our cues from you rather than from those voices that are around us. And as we do, Father, I thank you that you are in the process of making us more and more and more like yourself, ultimately, because that's who you created us to be. And I pray that we would be excited by that, that we would be cooperative with that, and that you would do powerful things in our lives and then through us in the lives of those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.